Well, welcome back once again to The Porch. It's a pleasure to be with those of you who listen to us each week, but as a particular pleasure to be with Caleb and Nate and to be these three Christian dads of distinction. Okay. I, won't, I won't say what makes us distinct. Yeah, I was about to ask. <laughs> is it my profile? It's my side profile, isn't it? Not good. We are distinctly three Christian dads. Oh, how about that? Yes. Uh, no mistake. Speaking of that. distinction. And it is a it is a joy to get together and to talk about things going on in the world. And I mm. I begin with this question: When is a pal no longer a pal? Mm. Mm. When you have to pay for his pal ship. When it's, in, when it's now NTSC. <laughs> when he when he's no longer paying for you but stealing. Oh uh, yes. So oh, uh, I, that oh, was a. Uh, there, you uh, go. See, uh, there it is. There it is. Oh, oh, wait, for the listener, we're all you. pointing at Chris, winking, saying, yes. uh-huh. 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 "No, we, now we know a pal." <laughs> A pal, yes. Yes. Stealing uh, pals or punishing pals. Exactly. When they're pulling you. you they pay them pals. <laughs> when they don't like what you see, but this just works because, you know, when they don't like what you say hmm? and they're no, they're mean to you, then yeah. you're supposed to be pals. You're supposed to be able to have a conversation. Pay bully. Pay bully. Oh, yeah. that's what it should be. Of, of you who will hopefully have a chance to listen to this if I edit it in time and this hasn't been completely washed out of the news cycle. Uh, we're, of course, introducing a, a headline that's been going around, particularly in conservative circles, regarding an almost policy, depending on who you talk to, of PayPal, in which uh, they were withholding to themselves the right to confiscate certain monies in the amount of, I think, about two and a half thousand mm-hmm. per offense if uh, you were found to be distributing misinformation. And if that's not... Uh, a synonym in the dictionary for boogeyman yet. It needs to be added miss or disinformation. And that caused a, a great stir. Uh, what what makes PayPal the arbiter of truth and information to then be able to on their own just go around confiscating money from everybody. Uh, and so there, there was then a response from PayPal saying... We're not going to implement that. We never have, never would have. Uh, false, false news. And so <laughs> we were just, just kidding. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> now, now the story about their misinformation campaign is now misinformation, just like that. Uh, so that that was the story, and it it prov- uh, provoked a number of topics among mm. people, including okay, where do we bank, and how are we going to do this, and you know, the Antichrist is going to keep us from doing business in the global economy, and yeah, he will someday, and it will be kind of like this. Uh, but uh, an interesting article appeared in The Federalist calling for the rise of a parallel economy mm. in response to things like this. And they documented how that's already begun to happen, whether it's social media networks like True Social that I think I just saw yesterday was finally allowed mm. on the Google App Store. Interesting. It made it into the Apple App Store a little while earlier, but mm. uh, Google has now decided that it has enough guards against misinformation that they will allow it on. Uh, so there's things like that that have happened. There's things along these lines in the school uh, business and uh, increasingly even uh, Hollywood is getting competition from the likes of VidAngel and uh, the Daily Wire that are trying to produce uh, feature length films and serialized entertainment as a parallel economy to what is now by some perceived to be a hopelessly lost hmm. culture careening out of control. We need to get off this ride before it crashes and build a new one. So, your thoughts on PayPal and the rise of the parallel economy. Do we want to have, what would we call it? Um, what would be the, would be the good? 
Oh, like righteous alternative. alternative to PayPal. Oh, what would it be? What would we call that? Peter Paul Pay. Righteous. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Paul Mary. Peter Pays Paul. <laughs> Peter yeah. Pay. Let's call it Peter Pay for know. the rest of the podcast. Yeah, Peter Pay. We're not Paul. What do you think Didn't about Paul? Uh, say, uh, Paul he Paul tells, tells he the Peter to pay Paul. Right? Well, Paul told the, uh, yeah. The Corinthians that he stole from other churches <laughs> because of them. So maybe, yeah. maybe not. Yes. Great uh, evangelist, uh, church planner, and don't make him your treasure. Is that what you're, you're saying? Uh, but yeah, what would be, yeah, we'll call it Peter Pay for now because yeah. it's just got a nice ring so to it. Do you support Peter Pay? Do you support Christians or just even others uh, who do not like what they're seeing trying oh, yeah. to create a Peter Pay? Or uh, do you want to tell them all just relax? <laughs> no, I thought the outrage was was appropriate. And by the way, the only reason that PayPal suddenly said, "Oh no, 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 that wasn't what we we're going to do," is because people got kidding. ticked off, right? And yeah. They, and it wasn't just Christians. I think. No. Uh, I think Elon Musk, uh, who was a founder oh, of yeah. PayPal, came out. I'm sure Peter Thiel. You know, just the normal conservative right. heavyweights uh, came out and said, "This is insane." You have a bank, essentially. I mean, that's what PayPal is. It's just a bank with um, that processes transactions. Suddenly, suddenly, at least saying they were going to determine what's misinformation. They were, I don't think mm-hmm. they ever disclosed how they were going to do that. Uh, and then finding with science, people. I yeah. think. Probably, well, they would have probably hired a science. I think the <laughs> Maybe two sciences. <laughs> science is the way. And no matter what it is, if you call it science, that means it's right. Um, the... You know who was thrilled with the news was Venmo. Um, I'm sure any alternative <laughs> platform was like, sweet. <laughs> Those idiots yeah. at PayPal just just bumped my business by 10%. Question. Do you think Venmo was saying sweet uh, because why would PayPal do something that dumb? Or do you think there's been a a phone call, a Zoom meeting or something where a lot of these guys are sitting around saying Hey, what do you think about this idea? And mm-hmm. PayPal said, "Well, we'll we'll float it. Let's see how this goes." So, do you think PayPal's a an anomaly, or do you think this is a trial balloon of of what would likely emerge as a larger trend in financial institutions? Hard to say. We don't know, but I would say this: uh, that level of sophistication is rare. Uh, if there's one thing in business that you can rely on, it's um, it is corruption, self-interest, and also incompetence. So, also known as human nature. Exactly. So I think a lot of times, especially if you listen to conservative radio, which I do once in a while, it's terribly entertaining. Too much of it, though, it's kind of like, you know, if you were enjoying a maybe you're at a wedding and you're enjoying some champagne little bit fun. Uh, too much of it, though, and you lose your mind. Conservative radio will kill you. Too much of it, but <laughs> it's toxic stuff. But it's a little entertaining. It's you, a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. And of course, but you listen to some of these, and they act as if there is this just well-oiled, completely synchronized conspiracy <laughs> against freedom. I think there could be a conspiracy against freedom, but it is not well-oiled. It is not synchronized because yeah, it is it is rife with self-interest. <laughs> There's You cannot find a conspiracy that works beyond two or three people. Except Pastor Klontz, he's going to disagree yeah. with you over there. No, well, no, I'm just going to say, I don't think it's well-oiled, but we, but this is not, I mean, this is not the first incident <laughs> where we've been starting to see, uh, there's several stories that have come out just in the last couple of weeks of, of 
churches or other organizations, nonprofits, um, where banks, Chase, KeyBank, I mean, not small institutions have just closed accounts on people that they just say, oh, you know, you no longer align with our corporate values. Uh, with our corporate values. Mm. Uh, and so basically that's just, happening. you know, I mean, there was a, a, I don't know the exact details. I was going to say, it is a third very party, rarely do, and I'm not saying it's, it's false information, but a lot of times when I hear this stuff, no one knows the details. So I'm always sure. curious. About well, the, the, what actually happened? Yeah, there were articles on, on the on the Chase one recently, and I don't I didn't look into the details of exactly like was it a, a, a you know an evangelical Christian organization or whatever, but you know it was, um, but it was there was they had opened an account and and then it was closed quite quickly without explanation, but there was yeah there's so but but that. Along with this PayPal thing, you know, you begin to go, okay, so what, what's going on? And I think Chris, you know, on, on, on Sunday, you did a good job. You, you mentioned how everything's becoming a moral, a moral issue. You know, everything is, and whether it's a, a, a moral Christian moral, like we would think of a moral issue, but there's moral codes and, and you can't break those codes. Uh, you know, and so if it's, um, you know, speaking out against uh, transgenderism homosexuality then you know you've you've broken you've broken the the code um and so um you know that's hate mm-hmm. speech and so suddenly you're no longer allowed to be be you know we can't uh support you and we can't have your money which would seem weird you'd think a financial institution would be like hey we're going to be as bipartisan as poli- or not bipartisan but as as yeah. uh what do you call it uh neutral neutral <laughs> as possible <laughs> yes. you know well, as, w- as swiss as possible <laughs> and and right now i i mean that is certainly the trend you'd be foolish to say otherwise but what creates these parallel mm-hmm. and by parallel it just means more options if yeah. you alternative if, you know everybody thought 10 years ago, everybody thought that the way taxis worked was kind of dumb, having to call mm-hmm. this number, 555 and then a yellow car pulls up and overcharges you. And and it was, you know, it's what everybody was used to, but mm-hmm. but what came up was Uber and Lyft and these alternatives. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of these parallel things, they're business alternatives. So if PayPal wants to behave badly, what happens mm-hmm. is their competitors do better. Um, or someone comes up with an alternative option right. um, that's more focused on freedom and less mm-hmm. focused on religious woke values. Um, so I think yeah. I th- it's certainly a reality. I just don't, there's not a, I don't think there's a group of 50 people sitting in a room saying, let's try this. Cause if those 50 really had the power, they would just not. do it. <laughs> right. Right. If they, if um, that would be true, if they thought that they had the ability for the American public to respond the way they wanted them to. Because that's there's always a you would triple the prices of of all your products if you thought your your uh, demand would stay the same. Sure, right? You would. Yeah, yeah, of course you would. You got to compete. That's yeah. why you keep the prices where they are. Which is yeah, why we don't so, get free shipping anymore. The market. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced Amazon's <laughs> using us as a test subject here in uh, up in Washington. So, I don't know. Have you noticed that you don't get free sh- or two do free two day shipping anymore um, in in Spokane? No, I thought, I think we still have stuff. Of course, I don't even really keep track of it, but uh, I know just stuff shows up once in a while. Well, just, it shows up, but they're not guaranteeing uh, two day shipping to to, get your tinfoil hats on. Washington. Yeah. I just got tinfoil hats. (laughs) Spokane has long been an area for test marketing things. That's true. We should get tinfoil hats. We should do an episode of tinfoil subjects, though. I think that would be fun. I'm just not convinced that Amazon really has a problem. (laughs) Conspiracies of the porch. Well, so the answer (laughs) that uh, that, uh, that, uh, a person in an office next door got Mm -hmm. from somebody at Amazon had to happen to be something about, oh, yeah, we're having an issue with. With you know some some I don't know, technical or some issue with shipping to to our 
our zip code, basically, this to Spokane Valley or Spokane, <laughs> um, you know, and so. Mostly but, because but, we have two massive distribution yes, centers here. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's like, yeah, and, and you I'm could, getting, you and could I'm, drive there in three minutes. <laughs> and exactly. I'm getting a package today from one of them. So it's like, how, how did that work where mm. it can't be? Anyway, so my yeah. theory, and it's a theory, but it yep. may be that they're, they're testing to see how committed people are. Where, what if Prime didn't offer you that two day shipping anymore? Would people would it would it change anything for? Maybe anyone? they're trying to recoup the costs Could? that they lost on Lord of the Rings. But what yeah. happens? <laughs> well, maybe. Oh my! But we maybe. should talk about Rings of Power sometime. Some maybe point. maybe maybe not today. Yeah, but, but I I think though that's interesting about what happens though is if Prime gets too mm-hmm. big for its britches, Amazon gets yeah. too big for its britches, mm-hmm. and starts to take amenities away. All of a sudden, you've just opened it up for Walmart. This is how these guys right. operate, right? Sure. They're, look, Whoever they're else, looking yeah. for their competitor to blunder yep. and take advantage and grab market share. Yep. Uh, back to PayPal. I mean, yeah. they they recanted. It kind of reminds me a little bit the way they backed off of that thing. Like, oh no, no, that was never real. We were just kidding. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, that um, was a. It makes you wonder if they leaked it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you Maybe. remember those about three years ago? I don't know if you ever saw these. Like all of a sudden, there were ads, like advertisements. I don't know if it was TV because I don't watch TV. It was probably before a movie or somewhere. And it was that IHOP was rebranding as the oh, yes. IHOP, the International yes. House of Breakfast. And every, everybody Burgers. saw that was like, that is, that is so dumb. And then they came out and said, <laughs> <that effort>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. we were kidding. Yeah. That whole ad campaign was a joke. We're like, no, no it, it wasn't. wasn't. <laughs> you don't spend that much money on a joke. Yeah, there's no way. Oh, yeah, man. that was a total. Uh, no, you yeah. haven't seen an ad from IHOP in a long time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they're just staying yeah. low. I was like, man, it ended up <laughs> being a effective advertising <laughs> campaign. Their numbers yeah. did what they wanted them to. Back to a comment you made earlier, though. Um, even if all of the earthly players are not coming together in cahoots, oh, you know, we sure. obviously know that mm-hmm. there is a very well-oiled machine running in the invisible realm, and and you can trace a scheme. And it's, yeah. you know, schemes kind of work at several levels. There's the scheme in the mind of Satan and his minions, hmm. right? And then there's where it begins to show up anecdotally in, in particular instances. And then there's the point where people start to catch on in in the levels of, at the power broker level, uh, the movers and shakers and culture, which is where Satan's putting most of his time and energy. Yeah. And at some point they pick up on, oh, this is, this is now what we're doing, right? And yeah. How much like, intentionality is there is debatable, but they're all now at least aware of what's going on. And then there's the level when the general population realizes, oh, that's what happened. And mm-hmm. usually at that point, it's just coming to terms with the new normal. That's yep. a great point because he did come, as scripture tells us, kill, steal, destroy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those are his objectives. And there is absolutely a satanic conspiracy. We know there are mm-hmm. principalities and powers and they exert influence. Right. On society for the purpose mm-hmm. of of rebelling against God, um, yeah. for the purpose of trying to squash God uh, God's people, um, or limit us or compromise us. So absolutely, mm-hmm. and and I guess what you could say is that the devious hu- devious person mm-hmm. um, would seek to find, as you said, those trends and take advantage of them for personal gain. So in a land of of decay and darkness, and if we're supposed to be salt and light, mm-hmm. is is it effective to try to do that by 
creating parallel institutions. Ah. Mm -hmm. So uh, what do you mean by parallel and what institutions? So we talked about money a little bit. So like like Peter Paul, Peter Powell, which is like, maybe that's a, (laughs) not a Christian, but a freedom loving bank. You can spend it on your, what you want. I am going to look up right now and find out if Peter Pay is an available (laughs) domain name. Peter Pay. Hold on a second. All right, let's see if it is. <laughs> no, keep keep going. So right. I, I, you know, interestingly enough, and here's the thing: if something was available, would you do business? Would you prefer to do business with a financial institution that just lets you do your business? Oh, yeah, I think most of us would. Probably. The question is whether or not they could convince enough other places to take their Peter Pay. You know, enough places take use PayPal now that it's you know. Yeah. Well, Venmo. It, it I, is I, a, do you guys use PayPal still? I think Venmo's been our thing now for a while. But, you know, whatever it is. It, let's say Venmo, Venmo comes up with some weird, um, bizarre, anti-freedom policy like <laughs> PayPal tried. You know, where would we go? What would we move to? But I think, I wonder too, Chris, let's take this out a step off just financial. And if you want to get on it, yeah, listening to this, you can log on and everything com is still available. Oh. That is the only one that's taken. Oh. Peter, Peter. Peterpay.com is taken. Dot com. Everything else is still available. Listening to us, although we're not live. Probably Google automatically bought it. No voice transcribing (laughs) our... (laughs) No one, Chris, he probably just reserved all these domain names, you know, just to (laughs) Too late. (laughs) (laughs) Now I want to see what Peterpay.com is. What other parallel institutions, though, have we seen? We've seen like... uh, Avenel Corporation. Hmm. Oh, who's that? They own it? An investment holding company in lifestyle marketing... Uh, hmm. PeterPay.com redirects to their their homepage that has an out of date Adobe Flash Player Uh-oh. plugin that won't load any longer. So if you're listening, Avenel Corporation Limited, all rights reserved. It does say copyright. It has no year. Hmm. Uh, then I, I would encourage you to um, update your website because it won't load on any modern browser. It's one of these lawyers on Wilshire Boulevard that bought ten thousand names way back and is just. Holding them. Yep. Uh, interesting. So parallel institutions, Chris, besides financial, what would be some other things where we would, uh, education is an obvious one. Cause that's not a new one. That's one we've had for a while, right? Yep. Um, uh, educational systems, whether it be a Christian private mm-hmm. school, homeschool co-ops. So mm-hmm. those are some parallel institutions, right. it's just examples, right? Yep. Uh, Media other- is another huge one, both on the entertainment and the informational. Yeah. So news, um, and then music and then your, your mixed media, uh, film, video, uh, digital entertainment. You mentioned daily wire earlier. They right. are like intentionally explicitly creating an alternative media empire for right. co- not Christians, but conservatives, yep. I guess. Blaze, I think has been trying to do that for yeah. a number of years. They were a, a trail blazer. Yes, they were in that, uh, in that field. Beck was kind of out in front of a lot of this, whether or not he gets he things right or not. The guy did take steps. Uh, he quit Fox, went and started blaze. He was kind of ahead. Of, he was pro- one of these guys that can see what's coming. They just don't know when. And uh, he's probably 10 years ahead of his time. Yeah. But I think it's paying off for him. He seems to be doing okay <laughs> <laughs> so far. Yeah. So that's, Other, a, I think that's another huge, huge area. Christian, uh, Christian, uh, exercise, Christian. There's a lot of things, right. Yeah. To become like Christian something. Uh, yeah. so, or at least conservative. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's where it gets weird because you take the example you mentioned of, uh, your taxi situation. Yeah. And so you had market pressures there where you had one industry that became extremely overregulated, unionized, all of that, it, it became stifling to any other entry into the marketplace, and the cost had exceeded what the market was wanting to pay. 
And so somebody said, I can find a loophole, right? And so, you know, the rise of those alternatives were largely driven by market demands and capitalistic creativity. Yeah. But what happens when those transportation industries, their, their market disadvantage is now not that they're pricing themselves out of the market, but that they are moralizing themselves out of the market, right? And I think that's yeah. what's driving the emergence of these new parallel institutions. It's not because I'm paying too much necessarily to watch CNN, right, is, or whatever it is. Uh, people are saying, I, I, don't, I don't feel compatible with, with your moral stance. And that's affecting banks now. Which, yeah. you know, which is mm. weird because it, it is weird. It used to be, you know, you're looking at interest rates and I'm not looking at corporate policy because it, it's a bank. You know, you go, you put your money there. They don't care where it came from for the most part, <laughs> you know, and mm. they don't care what you do with it when you take it out. And I don't uh, but think, that's changing. I don't think it's sustainable. I'm, and I'm not putting my head in the sand. It really is looking at this is so mm -hmm. hyper trendy. I right. mean, these, these, these virtue, these woke virtues yeah. These things are less, these are like five years old. Now in, in academia, they're decades old, but mm -hmm. nobody cares what professors think. In the business world, everyone kind of laughs at, at academia. However, academia has produced a generation now that right. thinks this is how the world works. Right. They've been hired in by large corporations. They've brought this <laughs> value set that only worked in their Marxist studies <laughs> class. They've brought it yeah. into the corporate workplace. But here's what I think happens though. Uh, I don't think those people and those values survive long-term. Now I'm not saying you just ignore no. them, but I don't, they just don't have capitalistic legs. They don't have, no. uh, they have no financial value. And, and, and in fact, I th the other problem with this, and we haven't gone through too many generations of this, we've seen some, some of the first ripples is the value set, the virtue, the woke virtue that is driving this is in constant evolution. So you, what was, what was yes. repre what's reprehensible today, and I can't do business with you because you wore a certain color shirt, tomorrow it's <laughs> going to be something else. And you can't yeah. keep up with this. So I think at one point- It's like a recursive delete algorithm. <laughs> oh, and we talked about this maybe on the porch, maybe in men's group at some point, but this idea- Or function, I should the, probably say. These principles that are, that are working their way, you know, the PayPal misinformation, mm -hmm. all this stuff, what, what, would have, what they would have defined as misinformation is a set of principles, a set of do's and don'ts that is so toxic, it can't even hold its own weight. I think mm -hmm. we talked about this, like right. the acid that destroys everything, including the glass that it's in. You know? Yeah. And it just keeps going and going and going. That's the problem with critical theory, which is behind all of this, is it can't hold its own weight. And eventually it cannibalizes itself. The right. real question is how much damage does it do? I was going to say, yeah, because it, it will destroy itself, but it has the capacity to destroy everything else that it's attached to in the process. Yeah. And... If we know that that's an eventuality, right? That kind of a corporate strategy, that kind of an approach uh, that PayPal is an example of in this case, yeah. but there's a lot of other similar uh, examples. You can just even look at a number of Hollywood feature films that have come out recently that have decided to make the marketing pitch be that we're super woke. Oh, yeah. And they've had just a string of box office duds. Well, there was an LGBT film that right. I heard about that was an absolute financial just disaster. Just a disaster. Mm -hmm. And right. what's interesting is one of the complaints from one of the actors was, <laughs> hey, you guys are bigots. You should watch the movie. Right. It's like, that kind of marketing doesn't <laughs> work, how, bro. And that's no <laughs> how you know. Yeah. So <laughs> we released this as a sermon mm -hmm. and you're refusing to go to church, right? That is That has literally become the marketing. Yeah. And, you know, that the... the the implication is you're condemned if you don't, right? 
we've now decided to make these things an Do issue. We have colors on the show now. That's awesome. As Chris is looking for what's ringing. <laughs> we should do call in, but we'd really have to. Yeah. We'd really have to orchestrate some things <laughs> since fun. we're not a we live show, but we, we could, could pull it. it off. I think it'd be cool. We could, yeah. yeah. I got this thingy. I can hook my phone up to it. I've been wanting to try. <laughs> Continue but, your thought. Yeah. Um, th- this idea that cultural justification now has become not just a background reality, because that's always been there. This notion that there are certain things you must believe and accept if you are going to be considered righteous in the culture's eyes, that's now the very forefront. And so to produce media with the implication that this is what you must participate in if you are culturally righteous, such that if it, if it does badly, that's not an indictment of the person who made the media. That's an indictment of all the consumers who refuse to do the righteous thing. And to, and if that, and that is actually how we're marketing and responding to things now, uh, in, in terms of Hollywood, that tells you something fundamental has changed about how the market works. Mm. When it doesn't work though, I think that's the key, right? So, <laughs> yes. so that idea of we're going to spend a hundred million dollars on a movie that does seven and a half million bucks its first weekend, which by definition is a flop. Ladies and gentlemen, Good that luck. stings. <laughs> brutal, right? Oh, and then brutal. we're going to lecture yeah. all the people that did not go see it to say that because you are a bigot, you didn't yes. go see it. Good, you, because good. you're a sinner. On the right? next, that's, that's what that accusation means. On the next go around, good luck finding someone to give you a hundred million so you can lose 90 of it and feel virtuous. Mm-hmm. The world right. does not work that way. It feels good to the person who's losing because mm-hmm. they, they got to lecture um, the people who didn't like their product. But I just, mm-hmm. I think again, it, it, the key is, is how, what kind of damage, how can you, mm-hmm. and maybe here's a question. How do you firewall the damage yeah. while this stuff implodes <laughs> on itself mm-hmm. um, so that, so that to your point, after it collapses, and I don't think society collapses. I just think that this virtue system collapses. This woke, this woke virtue system uh, falls in on itself. There will be remnants <laughs> for some time because the people, the zealots that believe in it have been placed in powerful places. Um, but I don't yeah. think it continues long term. But how do we... What that decisions depends, do we right? make you know, to... How many institutions can your culture lose before you've lost your society is one question. How many institutions can you lose before a predatory culture takes you over is another question, mm. uh, passively or actively. And so, you know, I, I do think the survival of an American, a, a, an American culture and identity is, is in play in these things. I do. Uh, I, I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you. Can you unpack that a little bit? What do you mean by that? The American cultural identity? Gotcha. I guess what I would say is... There, you can't uh, you can't freeze America at one year in history and be like this is quintessential America, right? right so that right. that's true. However, I think historically, it has been fair to say that there are there are a number of of values and there are a number of um, what you might call shared conceptions of of a national identity that have historically been considered America. You know, we, we're not primarily an ethnic identity. Right. Um, actually, we're not at all an ethnic identity we're because pot, yeah. we're from, we are everyone. Yeah. Uh, and so th- that, that is not something you can look to, but there are concepts of what, what we think freedom has meant mm-hmm. historical, historically, what we think opportunity has meant historically, what we consider to be important to social cohesion historically, I think are, are 
are things that had large, widespread support. And that included across political lines, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could stick a bunch of people in a room and say, what is it to be American? And you could hear a lot of similar things and then find out they had all voted differently in the last election. Sure, sure. I don't think that's the case anymore, mm-hmm. right? I think what you're seeing is there are fundamentally different notions of whether or not freedom is good and what it means, whether or not this society deserves to cohere and what kind of co- what kind of factors should be promoting cohesion, what our identities should be or should not be. Those fundamental questions of what this nation is, I do believe are actually on the table right now in a way that they they hadn't been. They were always presumed and kept in your vault. Now they've been dragged out and they're being debated on on the table of the of the public's uh, marketplace of ideas. And I do see a significant chance, not an inevitability, but a significant chance that there will at some point in the next generation or two need to be a line that historians draw and say, before this point, these are the the assumptions you make about America. And after this point, there's a whole different set of assumptions you have to make about America. And if, I don't know if there'll be a significant key event. I remember being in, in Israel, for example, taking a Jewish thought and culture class. And it was fascinating uh, listening to this professor, uh, a learned Jewish feller um, with a great big, like quintessential beard, and just you just wanted to hear him keep talking. Uh, There's and, something about orthodoxy that always involves <laughs> giant beards, right? <laughs> right. But he said, if you want to understand Israel before the Holocaust, think Torah. Right. That dominated the mentality and the identity of the Jewish people. If you want to think about Judaism and the Jewish people, not excuse me, not Judaism, but the Jewish people after the Holocaust think survival. Mm-hmm. That became the dominant driving idea of the Jewish people was wherever you go, be, uh, be essential. And that's interesting. Drove, right. drove them back to the land, the reef, right. the, the reforming of Israel as a nation. Yeah. And even as they spread throughout the world, that drive to be the doctors, to be the politicians, to be the media makers, to be, to be in positions that were considered to be essential to that society, to try to ensure uh, your survival. And I, and so even looking at that ethnically identifiable people, right? The genes haven't changed. You're talking right. about one people group. You can say there was what made this culture, this culture before this point in history. And now you are studying a different culture, same group of people, but a different culture after this point in history. And I do think the cumulative effect of what we're seeing uh, in in the last several decades could be maybe not a single point in time, but a cumulative series of issues that do constitute a fundamental change in our culture such that it is impossible to study American Mm -hmm. history the same way before and after. Mm. I would, uh, I think I've told you guys I have this theory and maybe this is the tinfoil time. Um, Put on the foil hats. There is at the root of all the, what what I think conservatives would call anti-American uh, trends. That's what you say conservatives would call it. Yeah. I think what a would lot, you call it? I, I, I'm a general, I'm a conservative. Okay. Um, I'm probably 
So you'll yeah, you'll, buy, you'll buy the label then, or would yeah, you I'll, tweak it? I'll, I'll take I'll take the label for uh, discussions. So. I'm a, I'm a right centrist, if you want to call it that. There but, you go. Because um, better I, than being a wrong centrist. Well, yeah. Well, I put myself there because I, I think <laughs> politics is is very limited in its utility, and it's become a religion. <laughs> it's become a religious fervor for most people. It's always so been religious. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a question though of how many <laughs> how many acolytes yes. did it have, right? right? So, uh, but but going back to mm-hmm. it, I, I at the at the at the root of of critical theory at the mm-hmm. root of these woke virtues at the root of all this stuff is an is an inherent anti-americanism mm. that it's it's not what you thought it was it's the opposite of what you thought it was mm. and i think at the center of all that is cold war era marxist disinformation i really do i, 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 <laughs> I i've actually begun to compile notes and, and actually write on this i can't uh, wait for that book to come out for my own for my own benefit to just get my, organize my thoughts but Yes, I, I, I guess I equated to this. We thought we had invaded Germany. <laughs> Germany had invaded us. us. Yes. <laughs> uh, Meet I'll, the Frankfurt I'll School. It, I'll call it Hail Hydra or something. <laughs> you know? But it reminds me a little bit when I was a kid. We uh, I grew up in Guam. Guam was a World War II battleground several times. The first time when the Japanese invaded and uh, and took it from America. The second time when the Americans invaded a few years later and took it back. There's all kinds of relics there, tanks, planes, <laughs> it's all rusty out, but some of these things are still in pretty good shape. And as a kid, mm-hmm. it was really cool to find things. Um, and a lot of things had already been discovered, but you'd go on a little hike out there. You call them boonie stomps, this trek <laughs> through the jungle. Wait, that's a new term. Boonie stomp. Boonie stomp. The boonies was, I've heard of the, was boonies, the jungle. So but I stomp. haven't heard yeah. of bo- a boonie stomp. A jungle hike. That one needs <laughs> to start working its way into my family's repertoire. <laughs> yeah, you guys like the We got to go on some boonie stomps. Go on a boonie stomp, yeah. That's fantastic. I'll get you Thank t-shirts. You. I'm sure they're out there. That was that makes the price of admission to the porch today <laughs> worth it right there, there for boonie stomp. Glad you paid that monthly subscription. <laughs> That's right. So you're on a boonie stomp and you'd find cool things. Now, every once in a while, and the kids would be warned about this and general, people would find stuff that should have exploded 50 years before and hadn't Mm. exploded. Old bombs, bullets, things like that. Some people collected these generally though, (laughs) which is insane. In fact, I I remember hearing about a house before we lived in Guam, but a house that had blown up because somebody was collecting these things and and these things are designed to go off. A lot of times it's just the slightest, it could be like a, you know, just a bit of dust (laughs) kept the firing pin from going. I'm just trying to imagine like somebody explaining this to an individual. I see your collection. Do you know these are designed to go off? <laughs> like, Check out this 500-pound bomb I sh- yeah. dragged home in the back of my pickup truck um, oh, that was dropped from an airplane. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh my well, but okay. what was interesting is these yep. were relics, and we were warned about them, and everyone mm-hmm. knew. I, I remember snorkeling with my mom once, and, she, and we found some ordnance on the the sandy floor of this public beach. And, um, and we made, you know, went up and told somebody, and they called. Uh, they've got special bomb disposal people that come out and collect these things because they're dangerous. These things are designed to kill. What is really interesting though, is here I am as a kid in the Mm -hmm. eighties and there's something that was dropped by the Americans or the Japanese a generation before now these, so basically the weapons of war are still there ticking Mm -hmm. away, capable of going off. And sometimes they do go off, Mm -hmm. but it's a war that has been long gone. Mm-hmm. And the right. enemy is no more. The emperor is not in charge of Japan anymore. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me a little bit of, I think, a lot of these ideas. And this would be mm-hmm. catastrophic for someone whose worldview is based upon a KGB uh, or a Russian disinformation. But if you think about it, 
Russia versus U.S. was a conflict of world views. There was no compatibility between mm. the Soviet pseudo-communist view of the world and America's view of the world. Someone, they could not coexist. Someone was going to win, someone was going to lose. And I think it's fascinating that a lot of people are running around with these Marxist views of power dynamics, <laughs> these Marxist yeah. views of the West. Everything the West did is evil, and yet they think Stalin somehow was a was a great a great guy to follow. And you and you almost want to that mm-hmm. is so incompatible with history. Even if you think America is imperfect, the fact that And it is. And it is, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But if but the fact is a lot of people are running around thinking that the Soviet Union was something to be admired and try to replicate. It wasn't perfect, but and in contrast, what America did was evil. It's like you are the victim of disinformation, my friend. And you're actually fascinated. It's like mm-hmm. that bomb that's sitting in the jungle for 50 years before it goes off and destroys someone. So this this is my theory that I'm working on. I'll take the mm-hmm. tinfoil hat off. There you now. go. All right. Uh, but I do find it interesting that a lot of these, you're right, a lot mm-hmm. of these ideas that are prominent right now are directly, they directly attack any, a, a number of the things that made America at least feel good about being America. Yeah. And, and so yes, there is a war of ideas. Be interesting mm-hmm. to see the, the anti, the anti crowd. I'm just not sure how long they last, but I mm. don't know what they become when this falls down. They're not going to go away. Yeah. I mean, that, that crowd inevitably becomes your revolutionaries. They always have in history. And I think just clarifying, especially for listeners to the porch, uh, the word Marxism is all, you know, that's as much of a boogeyman name as, mm. as misinformation. Oftentimes, <laughs> mm-hmm. Marxism, fascism, these things we throw around, we don't really know what they mean. And just to clarify what we're intending, I think, with with the use of a term like that is that you had right around the end of World War II with the emergence of especially breakthroughs in German philosophy, combine that with, uh, you know, just the the widespread acceptance of of evolutionary biological theory of the origin of life. And you put that also with Einstein's theory of relativity. You have all these things kind of mixing together. And what comes out of that is in in this pocket of academia, all of a sudden, a fierce incredulity to the knowability of knowledge. Like that knowledge mm. all of a sudden is not a thing that you can ever say, I've got it. Right. And with that then comes a necessary implication that morality is no longer a knowable and objective thing. That then means we need to relocate the problems with the world somewhere else. Because up until that point, a lot of societies, if not most of societies, and I would say the dominant majority in Western civilization had this notion that truth is knowable. Once we know it, we know who's right and we know who's wrong. And evil people are the problem with the world. Even bad people would acknowledge I'm a bad guy. Right. And after this, it's truth is not actually knowable. We can't say if people are morally right or wrong. What we can say is that there are those who have and there are those who have not. We're going to label that oppressor and oppressed. And the problem with the world is systems that enable that structure to take place. And that was Marx's uh, breakthrough idea was that in his, in his view, it was entirely economic, but it was that you can understand the problems with the world as you have those who have and those who have not, those who are oppressors by virtue of having, the oppressed by virtue of not having, and that the systems of society, the institutions of society are what perpetuate that injustice. And the only way to deal with that is for those who are a part of the oppressed to rise up and destroy all the institutions of the oppressor, because that's the mechanism by which you maintain the injustice. The assumption being then that the oppressed, with some kind of latent sympathy that they have from from having been oppressed, 
will not exert human nature to then become the oppressor. They would stop at equilibrium, right? That will somehow (laughs) just just slam (laughs) on the brakes when this thing is burnt down to the ground and rebuild utopia from the ashes. And and that's what's behind the anti-American, if you want to call it sentiment, is this notion that in America, America is fundamentally evil, even if they're not going to use that word, because... We've been taught that all of its institutions represent oppression, and therefore the best thing we can do for America is to try to erode, destroy, and take over the long march through the institutions, is what they call it, take over those institutions so that then having destroyed all of the mechanisms of oppression, this new uh, utopia can emerge. And they're there's always a lot of gets very hazy. There's a what lot of Vaseline the on the lens when we try to, to you know, start <laughs> d- discussing you, you, that you scene. You can't get an answer on that. I do think it's interesting, though, at the heart of something that is so, in terms of practical <laughs> result, monstrous as Marxist, <laughs> as Marxism. At the heart of it, though, is a desire for <laughs> utopia. Isn't that fascinating? At the heart of it, too is there are it's it's borrowed a lot of virtue and then totally redefined it that that the bible has been clear about that right. there, this is a broken world there is yeah. a perfect place ruled by someone perfect it, it mm-hmm. is achievable the problem with marx is it's like that perfect place is something we have to create because there is no one but us right uh, to fix this broken world uh, it it, it com- the other problem with it too is it completely ignores the fact that human beings are fleshly corrupt and sinful Mm. beings, right? Um, yep. Boy, we we went down a rabbit trail. We did not expect we, to go down there. We did. Yeah. How fascinating. Wow. Because we had anticipated <laughs> pivoting more in the direction of the church. We did. I don't even know how much time we have. I can't we are see the timer. Uh, pretty at 41 minutes. Ooh, mm. We got we got a little bit of time to, so, to unpack. Do, do you want to let, let us have it? All right. Let's do it. So let's Set pivot this up. then. We've we looked at the kind of the culture in the world and just maybe to land the plane there. Um, those institutions that choose to ally themselves with these ideas will either have to divest themselves of those ideas and ha- will have lost in the process or will be destroyed when those ideas inevitably consume themselves. Mm. And there is some wisdom in having alternatives. Yeah. And uh, and alternatives that see that that's what's going to happen and say, so let's not do that. Let's take that then into the realm of of Christianity and uh, this whole idea, the parallel economy concept in Christianity, uh, probably it was most popularized in recent times by the book, The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher, I believe is yep. the right way to say his name. Yep. Rod Dreher. <laughs> Dreher. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's subsequently fleshed out some of those ideas and Live Not by Lies, which I think is a great book, that second one in mm-hmm. particular. I'm looking at it right over your shoulder yep. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His first book met with a lot of critique. Yeah. Actually, a lot of people that critiqued his first book liked his second one. <laughs> and in the first book, it it presented more of what you could call a cloister mindset, that the church needs to withdraw from the institutions of this world with the goal of being those that will preserve truth, preserve Western civilization, and be able to maintain an intact discipleship apparatus Does for the, the next generation. That book, did the when you read it, <laughs> Um, kill him. I think you've read it. Too, I read, right? it. read yep. it. So does, did the image ever come to mind of that Italian monastery built right atop this spire? <laughs> like you can't, I think it was even in a James Bond movie. I didn't see that one, you but I definitely saw monasteries. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you can't get to it unless like you, you get in the elevator that mm-hmm. goes up and, and it's, it's impregnable. Right. And I, those were the images I think a lot of people <laughs> had 
this monastic retreat, yeah. build the walls, mm-hmm. um, preserve mm-hmm. the treasures. And the treasures in this case were not gold. You know, the treasures mm-hmm. were ideas, principles, biblical truth, and and let the world destroy itself. And then after, you know, in the aftermath, then we mm-hmm. all reemerge. Yes. So that's one picture of one extreme, which is you recreate all those institutions and all of those things that are necessary for life. You know, you, you have Christian businesses, you have Christian schools, you have Christian churches, you have Christian communities. You just, yeah. and that's probably even more extreme than his book, but kind you just, of an Ayn Rand approach. Sure. If, you read, if you've read the Atlas Shrugged books, <laughs> yeah. where all the smart people said, I'm out, we're going to go do our own thing on right. our own and wait for everything else to burn. Sure. So that's one, one strategy. And then maybe you run sorties down into the world from time to time to try to hook a few people and drag them up the hill. Save the smart ones. Let's go <laughs> right, exactly. And and let's take that off to the the other extreme, which is, uh, we need we need to be as present in every aspect of society as we possibly can be, which means we would actively try not to work at a, a, a business that's predominantly Christian. I'd want to work at a place that's predominantly full of unbelievers. I would, I would predominantly want to have my children in a public education system. I would pr- predominantly want to participate in extracurricular activities where they will be interacting with the world. And, and I'm going to p- make every opportunity I can to be in the world. Um, where, where does a wise Christian land in the call to be in the world, but not of the world? Mm. There's the setup. Love it. Love it. I think I just put a T and put a little softball on top and uh, then I uh, handed uh, made uh, a bat. No, uh, a, a, dr- a driver. I want to hit a golf ball. Oh, okay. Golf golf ball. Ball. No, no, my golf game is so bad. Um, I'll, I'll shank it for sure. I think the answer is both, which is you're going to say, oh, that's no fun. It is fun uh, if you can define your terms carefully. If you can. <laughs> but I want to define them in a way that's Challenge. practical. I think sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. I think in our effort to be precise, we become so academically minded that people don't know what the heck we're talking about. And they, and they, and they walk off with a, a sense of, well, that was intellectually stimulating, biblically correct. Mm-hmm. But what do I do with that, guys? Mm-hmm. How do I go put that into effect tomorrow when I go to work at the warehouse or something, right? So I think it's both. It, you, we, there's no getting out of this world until the Lord pulls you out uh, via rapture or via death and he takes you home. You are a resident of a planet that is completely enemy territory. Until you're involuntarily six feet above or below the surface. That's right. <laughs> Here, there, yeah. or in the air, and there's yeah. some version of in the dirt maybe. But, uh, but you know, that is, I think that the, the, the distraction potentially for, and, and I, I feel the draw of this, the pull of this. Mm. There's a part of me that thinks, oh, how satisfying it would be. If Francis Schaeffer had returned and I had gone to Liberty, <laughs> yes, and I just worked at a Christian camp the rest of my days. And ate Swiss cheeses and yes, fresh bread. and wore fancy pants, funny pants, just like he wore, <laughs> and sat with, sat with him and philosophized. And we read the great, the great writings of, of Christendom, mm-hmm. and we talked about God's word, and we... This is kind of sounding like a version of the porch, actually, minus the funny pants. But <laughs> um, and the Swiss back. By the way, I am drawn to that. I, and sure, there's, there's something attract because there's part of me that wants to go home. I was going to say because we're meant for that. Uh, we are meant not for some <laughs> Marxist utopia, some no. wokeist utopia. We are we are citizens yes. of the kingdom of heaven, which is not here. No, um, you know, Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world," and so we are drawn to somewhere else. And I look forward to the day. 
Um, the challenge hmm. is right now, when Jesus saved me, he left me here. He didn't hmm. immediately take me home, right? So there's a purpose to why I'm here. And so I think you, we are going to be inevitably in the world. There's no avoiding that. I think we can try to play games and go to Christian aerobics and things and say, oh, they're not in the world. But we are here. Um, but I th- the key part of that is not of the world, not of the world's value systems, not of the world's virtues, all the things that the world system is obsessed with. Uh, self-worship, uh, self-indulgement. I mean, just go through it. The, the, the great, the great sins, right? Pride, greed, all those sorts of things. Um, that is the, what the world is about. And, and so we are not of the world. We are not of those values because G- now apart from Jesus, we absolutely are. I think it's an interesting yeah. thing that God's really dealt with me is Nate, you are not just a better brand of sinner because you bear <laughs> my name. Apart from me, you are the same filthy, rotten sinner that all those people out in the world are. So don't think you're better. That's a form of Mm self-righteousness. But I I do think that when I go back to, when I go back to first, you know, we talk about the great commission, our listeners, I'm sure all know what that is. Jesus last great exhortation to his disciples to go make more disciples and, uh, and go throughout all the world, right? The, you take Jesus last great exhortation, commandment, I'll go a step further, not just exhortation, commandment. This is what the church is meant to be. And then you take a look at the epistles and go all the way through the rest of the New Testament. And you see a church starting in Acts uh, chapter two, I guess you see a church that took that seriously and actually was going out and out into this world, you know, first Judea and then Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the world. I think that's interesting too, because as Americans, I think we think we're the center. It's like, no, we're the pioneer. Yeah, we are the we're, uttermost we're the part. Of, yeah. <laughs> we're the last bit. Exactly. <laughs> or as far as you get before you're coming back. That's right. <laughs> so back to, I think it's both. Now, not every family and not every child, just take public school, for example. I think it's an easy example because it's something we can all relate to. Not every kid has the right maturity or personality uh, to be surrounded by the world. That's true. I mean, I, I, I went to a variety of schools growing up. I went to homeschool, went to Christian school and public school. And there were times where, uh, and I just, I think there's times where a kid is not prepared for that. If you're being more influent, if you're becoming more like the world, as opposed to shining Jesus's light to the world, it's a problem. Um, so, so there would be an example of where you're out in the world, but for the purpose of sh- introducing people to Christ through your testimony and through your words, through your actions, the way that, the way that he is, is operating through you in those environments. I think uh, now some families make an alternative decision and I completely respect it and I understand why. I just think, I think there's a bit of both. I picked public school as probably a volatile one, probably more of a lightning rod that I should have picked. But the so, I, you could, just want to clarify when yeah. you say that, are you arguing then for an either or, or are you saying that each family should be a bit of both? Uh, I would say each family will take it on uniquely. So maybe a bit of both. I would say that's probably a good thing. Uh, but it really depends on the family. Now, what I did see, and maybe you've seen this as well, um, I have seen... There is a point at which we all are going to be out in the world. I, I know that um, you, where are you going to go to go work for a Christian company? Where are you going to go? <laughs> like you're in a room with pa- two pastors. Besides getting an office next to you guys, right? <laughs> but, but, Hobby Lobby. But having said that, <laughs> yeah, they do play Christian uh, music in Hobby Lobby. That's how you Chick-fil-A. know. Yeah. 
Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. But yeah. even you guys are and out. Still got John three sixteen on their cups. Yeah. I mean, not like everybody who comes to church yeah. on Sunday can't work at the church, right? No, no. And I do think there's some folks that have what? tried to go there, yeah, right? Yeah, and should hard to believe. No, because we're you guys are here to equip. The saints for the works of ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are works of ministry? Works of ministry are ministering to one another with the with the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us. Uh, but the, the works of ministry are also going out there where mm. the where the people who need to hear the gospel are. And you mm-hmm. can't share the gospel with people if you don't even know who they are. They can't mm-hmm. hear the word unless you're there to share it. So I kind of say it's both. Now, don't you can't compromise on the monastic side. I totally admire the commitment to truth. Preserving truth, teaching truth, understanding truth. That's the disciple making that's happening. Mm-hmm. But for the purpose of making more disciples, and you don't make more disciples just by hanging out with the same 500 Christian people all week, Mm -hmm. they're already disciples. So where do I go make more disciples? Out there where Mm -hmm. the harvest is, is, is ready. So I don't know if I answered your question or not. I don't know if I (laughs) shanked the ball when I hit it either, but I think that's where I kind of come down. I think it's both. And, and I would, I would. Cut off time. Go around the porch. Um, <laughs> don't think. Just talk. Oh, yeah, just talk. It's more interesting just that way. Just like talking the game, too. I can, always recant, I can always recant what I <laughs> don't said. Think, just fly. I still haven't seen that movie. That's right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, you know, I think God has gifted uh, different people in in the church for, for different tasks, right? And so, you know, I, I used to get excited and be like, everybody should be like Linda and I, and everybody should, you know, know all the names of all their neighbors, and everybody should be, you know, or whatever it is, you know, right? Um, I'm not trying to. That we're, we're special. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I, you guys we're not special. But just to be everybody fair, should be to like be us. Fair, you guys are special, and you set a good well, example. Well, it's well, important, you, you know. But we're special in that area, but we, we may we may not be in other areas. <laughs> sure. And I, I think part you know part part of part of that is that God has doesn't always gift everybody the same, right? Like I know people that are that are less, uh, they're more introverted. They're not they're not extroverts like like we. Most of my family tends to be, um, you know, and so we are naturally out around more. So it's harder for those people and, and doesn't mean that they shouldn't also be trying to do that, right? In the same way that, you know, yes, as a, as an elder pastor in a church, our, our role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Doesn't mean we don't also do that work of ministry in our neighborhoods oh, or things course. like that. In fact, I would say that's kind of how a, you equip us, right? We get to see you modeling these things. And, yeah, some, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. but, but, I guess my, my point is that God has gifted different roles. Uh, you know, a, a pastor or a, or a shepherd is not necessarily an evangelist, right? Is not necessarily a, a missionary. You know, we're not all called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, right? We're not all called to be missionaries to, to Italy. Um, we should all be concerned about the gospel moving forward. Um, but, but so I think there's, there's a bit of, God does gift some people more to be those kind of stabilizers and kind of those, those, uh, you know, helping to, to, uh, to, to not, not, I don't think anybody should be cloistering away in, in a monastery, but but <laughs> but but to kind of build help build those the the bastions the the walls against the the tides that are coming in, but but there are also those people that are that are jumping over the wall and running out into the fray and trying to pull a few across, you know. What shouldn't uh, in, we all be pulling it. people across? I think. <laughs> Yeah, that would be another question. I, 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 yeah, we should all be doing all of it. Like for any of us, it's like when did you? When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? If but, you can't remember, yeah, but you know that's something to. But but to honestly, it, ideally, we should all be doing all of it, right? Yeah, but yeah. but we're not all we're not all doing all of it. 
And I think I think the call is for the church as a whole to do that. And I think that's why we're all members of a body. And so you're going to get some people that are more prone to say, hey, we need to be out there getting getting those people. We have some people, yeah, but we need to be teaching truth and we need to be, you know, having a Christian school because it's important that we guard truth. And other people are going, no, we need to get out there in the community. So I, I don't think that it's necessarily either or. I think it may be a little bit more both and than we sometimes think it is mm-hmm. in the church. And so I think I think, you know, there needs to be. And maybe a little more charity to to both mm-hmm. positions, mm-hmm. I, I, you know. And I think because I don't know that it really is a an either or, right? There has to be no, the balance I, between the two. Well, I think the one either is probably off. Monastery in the extreme <laughs> is probably well, sure off the table because that's just not but, practical. But right? everybody as apostles, nobody's you know nobody right. uh, you know worried about a church. Why do we even have a building? Why do we have church? Why do we have we meet on Sundays? Let's all just go out to the community. Why do Christians ever gather? Let's not do well, it. That's biblical. Let's get out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but I know, but then but then if Christians are going to gather, there are also roles, right, that, yeah. that help with that. Elders, pastors, shepherds. So then that means, okay, so now there's some sort of, there's got to be a place for gathering. So there's those sorts yeah. of things that you have to think about. So it's not, it's not go build a monastery. And it's also not, though the church should be completely scattered and tiny small groups everywhere. And, you know, it doesn't matter as long as, you know, two or three are gathered together in my name, which is a uh, misuse of that, uh, of that quote <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, if, you, if you focus on that as your idea of the church, you have cut a lot of the New Testament out of your sure, but, interpretation. But, but, there, but there are those that do, right? I, mean, I know right. Christians are like, oh, we don't, you know, we don't go to church Sunday because, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, we're reaching our neighbors and we're visiting with people. And, False. And it's like, yeah, no, that's that's wrong <laughs> yes. as well. Yes. It's, it's wrong for all of yeah. us to say, hey, we're going to cloister ourselves behind these walls and build our own little community and never talk to anybody outside of it because we're not called to that. Yeah, um, but we're also not called to. Uh, we're also I right. you know, I so. Think I think it's both. Well, I think it's between. Yeah, uh, probably, and I think that we all tend to lean one way more than another. You know, and mm-hmm. and, and and by the way, I think the leaning, uh, Chris, you and I have talked about church personalities in the past. Yeah, I think the leaning. You're right. We do tend to lean one way or another. I think that kind of manifests itself in the sorts of. If you look at a lot of a lot of churches, if you get a chance to get in there and get to know people. A lot of them are pretty similar. So it's almost kind of like the self-sort that we've talked about. I think that happens in church selection as well. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it has in our experience, having moved as much as we have. had, as we have. There's certain kind of personalities that all tend to like go into a certain body. Having been in some of them in the past, they were bodies that spent mm-hmm. most of their time with each other. And there wasn't much mixing up in the world. And it was just mm-hmm. like a continual self-filling, which has its positives, but it also is like, wow, this feels in those, in that context, I'm thinking of a particular church we were at in California when we were down there. It was a church that always felt off balance. It didn't mm. feel like a church. It felt like a class. And, um, and I think those, that's probably the big challenge for guys that are <laughs> leaders in churches is how do mm. I, how do I keep this from becoming one thing uh, or another, but yeah. but fulfilling both the truth preservation, teaching, disciple making, but then also fulfilling the great commission for which mm-hmm. we are still here. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I, th- I think where we've you know the church in general in America probably has been more a little bit less. I'll say it like on mission, right? <laughs> I mean, I, that's kind of a. I don't know if I like that term, just because everybody uses it, right? They did use it. The gospel mission. No, but but so when we now were that everybody's listening to it, he doesn't like that we were, band anymore. Yeah, no. well, yeah they're not that's cool interesting. anymore. The counterculture trend. That's another trend in Christianity, yeah, right? If, it's, if people like it, I don't. That's right. It can't yeah. be good. Can't Sorry, use the word gospel because everybody uses it now. But no, the. 
so when we were in Italy, uh, you know, small, tiny church, everybody's, you know, th- there was this feeling like we're it and we need to reach our neighbors. We need to find, you know, opportunities to share the gospel on the community. We need to be, you know, whereas here in the United States, I think there's been a lot, you know, a lot of, of, of time in which our nation was a quote unquote Christian nation, uh, where Christendom was kind of our thing, where, you know, there was, there were advantages to being a Christian, maybe not so much in, and maybe in Spokane, I don't know, but like, you know, in parts of the South for sure, you know, being an elder or a deacon in the church was a status symbol. Part of being in the club. It was yeah. part of being in the secret club. If you had a, if you were in that position and had a business, then you know, know about the people would come to you. So, so those, those things have left, but, but during that time, the church did basically just say, Oh, we're all just fine. We're living in our Christian country, Christian world. And, uh, and the gospels assumed. And of course, we're all Christians. And so we weren't, we weren't keenly aware that we had neighbors that needed, needed Jesus because, mm-hmm. you know, well, maybe they even went to church on Sunday, right? So they're fine. Um, you know, and so I think. I don't know where I was going with all that. I think we tend to lean maybe maybe sometimes the the other way just because of that, um, and and so I think um, you know there we do need to be. I don't know where I was going with all that. It seemed like it was a, <laughs> I can't carry off of something you said, but I just I think let me ask I think you, we Kate. tend to lean that direction by and large in churches is that we're not as proactive indivi- as individuals. Not uh, I'm saying like everybody in the church at really trying to to really look at every opportunity as a gospel opportunity. Let me ask you, and I always like it when you speak up on these things, Kev, because you've always got wisdom. I appreciate you sharing it. I, and and Chris, you and I might've been talking about this at the sandwich joint a few (laughs) weeks back. You always have the conversation. Why wasn't I invited? (laughs) Food was involved? Darn it. I was supposed to keep oh, that was secret. That, that was the, uh, is that over uh, the where Smackies? Where you Jersey, Smackies? Jersey, oh, Jersey Mike's. Mike's. Oh, okay. Jersey Mike's, which has gotten a little pricey. Uh, well, last time I was in there, I was pricey. like, good night. I could have gone out for a sit-down. but well, you can, I mean, it's it's 20 bucks for a sit-down or 15 bucks for a what fast food kind Stay of Stay at home and eat ramen. That's what I did we today. We need a parallel fast food joint. <laughs> That's what we need. <laughs> something affordable. Yeah. So we got Peter Pay. We got to come up with something else, you know, for for Peter in a yeah, food joint. Yeah. But what one of the things we chatted about, and we were there for a while, so we talked about a lot of things. But I wonder, I go back to, and you guys are like, oh, Nate, you're gonna go back to that same passage. Mm-hmm. But it's one that God has been using to really work on me. Is is the greatest commandment, and the second. So according to Jesus, you mm-hmm. know, and and he, I think it's okay to quote Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though his name has become trendy. So I think we can still use his name, though, even if it's become trendy. Mm. He talks about the greatest commandment being love the Lord your God with all that you are. Mm -hmm. And then the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. And even even Gavin Newsom knows that verse. That he does. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, it's just like every drunk knows this verse. A little wine's good for the stomach. So you can always find something right, to take out of context and support your your view. But I yeah. think what's interesting, I was really, uh, as I have studied around agape in particular and, and agape love, I think this is one of those areas that for all of, for Christians who've been Christians a long time, like I have been a believer since I was a kid, uh, I, agape love is not something that I think I have really consistently done a good job of showing my, my desire for truth and better understanding of the truth is kind of part of my personality anyway. I think we're all a bit of bookworms in the room here. 
not everybody's a bookworm. Uh, all of us should be Bible worms, but not everybody's into reading books all the time, right? Um, but we should all be into loving. And I and one of the things that I've been struck, and I think I share this with you, Chris, uh, when I was reading in Revelation chapter two, Jesus' exhortation and rebuke of the church of Ephesus. As I read through that, and I got, you know, you get through that paragraph where Jesus is complimenting the the church at Ephesus. And then he rebukes them for having lost the love they had at first or lost their yeah. first love, depending on which version you're reading. Um, I th- that struck me to the heart. I felt rebuked. And as I, t- as I went back to, maybe this is why I don't love my neighbor as myself. Maybe I'm not getting, maybe yeah. I have not consistently obeyed the second greatest commandment because I'm not actually obeying the first mm. And maybe, you know, there's, is there a sequence here? Is it, if, if, if I'm not loving the Lord, my God, with all my heart, mind, soul, strength, no wonder I'm like the, the two guys in the parable of the good Samaritan that walked on by the guys who knew better, both Levites, both worked at the temple. Um, was one a priest, second was <laughs> temple assistant, both knew better and they saw the bloody body guy wasn't dead yet, but they didn't have time for him. For whatever reason, they did not have time. And I, I was convicted in this, you know, as, as the Lord brought me through this, because I'm those guys. I have been those guys. And my head was full of knowledge, but my heart was not full of love. And so I know the, there's always a cautionary part of even me that's like, well, you, you know, the world has so rocked the definition of the world love and stolen from it and robbed it. You really get back to biblical definition of what is agape. And, um, and I think that's something that's been powerful for me and helping me. And here's what's interesting is, is, is I've been studying this in our family as we've been studying this. The Lord has introduced situations that one might call were tests to see if we we're taking it seriously. I look at it as opportunities to put this to use, right? And, and it's been inconvenient. Hmm. Um, there was even an inconvenience yesterday, but the Lord, it was, it's in agape love is inconvenient. And I think Jesus displayed that most perfectly, not only inconvenient, but excruciating. And yet my job isn't just to know everything about my King. It's to become like my Mm -hmm. King. And, uh, and the way I get to become like him is knowing more about him mm. and studying more about him, but not studying the scripture just for the sake of knowing it and not just for the sake of understanding it, but for the sake of being transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit, not me to become more like my King. And so all the way back to what you're saying, I think, I think a lot of my adult years as a Christian, I, I, I was exactly what you described, you know, the people that kind of know my neighbors, but just take for granted that no, oh, they'll, they'll they'll come to know the Lord if they're elect, <laughs> you know those kinds of those kinds of things. And so I I I, I think we're probably out of time, Chris. We haven't given you a chance to even talk. But um, but <laughs> he spoke earlier. He's the one that pushes record <laughs> though, so he can make this go yeah. longer. Right, he can make it go as long as he wants. <laughs> That's right. He can even add on like a a clarification, a postscript, clarifying. But I, but uh, I think the <laughs> answer. I think the answer to this is is getting back to God love. And, and there's so many exhortations in scripture about love, 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 not worldly love that says, I accept you, man, and everything that you want to do. That's not love at all. It's nonsense. 
good parents don't even love their kids that way. And we're corrupt, right? <laughs> even believers. So I think, I, I think it's not that it's not truth versus love. It's, it's that if you understand the truth, you will love. Mm. Um, but, but it is something that you have to really obey in. Um, so with that said, uh, Chris, we want to give you a chance <laughs> probably to close this out, but, uh, get your thoughts on this. Yeah. And love, you can't escape love. Um, that is just one of the, the most fascinating subjects in scripture to study because you f- find it substantively is, is what's in the background of almost every other major theme mm. that you're going to study. If you study hell, you mm. are studying love at work, right? And uh, it, it just, it's, it is a powerful, a powerful concept. It's um, yes. Yeah, so, so fundamental to who God is. If you want to understand God's attributes, you have to understand holiness. Mm. And if you want to understand God's motivations, you have to understand love, right? You I mean, there's just, they're, they're essential to everything. What is difficult, I think for us uh, is unlike God, we we neither have the we we lack the glory he has meaning the excellence of his perfections i don't have the capacity to be 100% of all the things and god does right and and for that reason uh god has distributed to us unique roles and functions that are going to lead to emphases and he's distributed to us limited amounts of grace and inequitable amounts of grace. Mm-hmm. He gives somebody one talent and somebody else 10 talents. Mm. And and that's because he thinks it's better that way. And it is. And I think as, as a Christian church, we do need to celebrate the beauty of that mm-hmm. and guard against uh, the judgmentalism of a heart that uh, that wants to look at somebody else with different priorities and say, shame on you. Mm. Or against the the laziness of heart that says, well, it looks like you're doing it a fine job, so I'll just let you do it by yourself, <laughs> right? And um, when, when God's talking to his disciples on the mount, he's sending them into the world to go make disciples. That is absolutely one of the ways that they ought to love him. When Jesus is reconciling Peter, mm. right? And he says, do you love me? The application is, focus on the church. When God looks at husbands and he says, do you love me? Then focus on your wife. Right. And so there are these different spheres and there are those uh, who in a particular season of life, God may say your primary attention needs to be on the world right now. That's what I've equipped you to do. As you've delighted in me, I've given this this to you as the passion of your heart, as the desire of your heart. So get out there. Paul was one of those guys. I'm not getting married. I'm not having kids. Mm. Um, I love my friends at Antioch, but peace, I'm out, (laughs) right? Because I have to go where nobody's heard. Uh, the the beginning of the great commandment, uh, the great commission is not a command to go, but Paul, (laughs) for Paul, it was a passion to go, Mm -hmm. right? He said, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to uh, make disciples. I'm going to baptize them. And then I'm going to leave somebody else behind to do the other half, Mm. which is the teaching them to guard, to keep, to obey all the commandments of Christ. I don't intend to stick around to finish the great commission. So he understood I'm imbalanced, right? I'm not going to be a full commission, uh, apostle maker or disciple maker. My life is going to be about the first half. 
And God raises up people in every generation to do that and praise God for that. And God raises up people in every generation to do the second half of that and to devote the majority of their energy to, to the, 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 the teaching and training to guard and to keep and to obey Christ's commandments for those who are already in the kingdom. Um, there are seasons of life where your primary focus may need to be on your family because those are the disciples that you have the most responsibility to and who in a particular season you may not be able to fulfill that responsibility without devoting a tremendous amount of time to that. And then there may be other seasons where that shifts. And now it's, I want you to come with me and let's go out and, and get involved in the world. And so I think every Christian who loves his savior needs to love all of his savior's business, but he doesn't have to run his whole savior's business. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And in a church, what's uh, an advantage of, as an example, a style of ministry that preaches verse by verse through scripture is we ought to, as a church, be encountering all the different aspects of God's business and trusting that God will bring people into our church, that he has equipped and given a passion to do all of those things. And so if you end up with a, a local body of Christ in which nobody has the desire to go, uh, then you probably haven't been preaching the full counsel of God's word well. Mm. If you have uh, a church in which everybody wants to go, you probably have not been preaching the whole counsel of God well. If you have a church that thinks that the purpose of assembling is to do evangelism, you don't even know what the church is for. Mm -hmm. And if you think that the purpose of the church assembling is so that they can no longer have to deal with the world, you don't know what the church is for. And so I think that as, uh, as dads, mm -hmm. we need to say, what are the talents God gave me? Uh, how did he wire me? How did he equip me? Oh, as I delight in him, what are the passions that he's giving me? Am I being obedient to live out the convictions I have? And so if you would realize I'm a Paul, I've got to go. Like I, I can't stay because there's people that haven't heard and I've got to go talk to them. Then you need to obey that call. Uh, get you know wisdom and counsel and all of that to help you be as equipped and prepared, but you need to say, it's time for me to obey. And if the guy next to you says, I've got to stay. Because I want to establish something here that will be a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ for a hundred years by generational discipleship. And I want to invest my life in that. Then you got to stay and you've got to turn off any wanderlust that might be pulling at the edges and grass is greener on the other and realize, no, there's going to be parts of this that are mundane and tedious, but this is where I plant my flag. And both of those guys need to love each other and support each other. Mm -hmm. And if you have a church that's willing to do that, then I think that's a healthy place. Mm. Amen. Mm. Amen. Uh, so I don't know if that was more of that uh, too ambiguous to be practical, but I think that would be my desire for our church is that as we work through God's word, verse by verse, we would see individual families and in particular, the men in those families establishing the patterns and the rhythms of that family life. And there will be some people who are just neck deep in the community and they just, they're people that, because every, I don't care if you're in the church in the world, anywhere, there are social hubs. There are people oh, that God is yes. gifted to be at the middle of an interconnection of relationships. And there'll be people that'll be that in the world for the glory of God. And that's fantastic. And there will be other people who invest their lives in things where they may not come into contact with people in that same way. Uh, you know, we've got an individual in our church who recently retired as a master gardener. And he has been glorifying his God 
with what he does with roses mm-hmm. that has been an absolute gem in what this city is, mm. right? He has, he has, I think, brought God great pleasure, but he doesn't attract a huge crowd of people around him in his line of work, mm. <laughs> right? And I don't think he has missed out on what the Christian life should look like because that's what God gifted him to do is mm. to be a world-class rose gardener. Tremendous amount of respect for him. Him and his wife are involved in a lot of interesting, difficult ministry, often to saints who are in different places of need. Mm. And so it's been neat to see. Um, But somebody like Paul, who's not sanctified, could come along and try to make that guy feel really guilty. Mm. And that would be a mistake Mm. Uh, and, and vice versa. So that... That's a bit of a a Mm. ramble, but I want to see a church where we love every aspect of God's business and the unique ways in which he equips different people to have an emphasis in accomplishing that business. And as soon as the church commits to an emphasis to the judgment of some other part of God's business, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Mm. Well, if anything, it's a good reminder too for (laughs) me and other listeners to pray for our church leaders because that that balance... (laughs) Mm-hmm. is part of the, I'd say, the challenge yeah. uh, of leading uh, a body of, of believers, right? I mean, there's a, a, the obvious challenge of of preparing mm-hmm. to faithfully teach God's word and then the, the disciple making mm-hmm. of how to apply what you've been taught. I mean, that's a yeah. challenge in and of itself. But there's also this challenge, too, as you said, of, of prayerfully crafting an environment where everybody is being mm-hmm. is being supported and discipled in the unique gifting and unique location that God's placed them and yeah that, that that's a lot of challenge right it can only, it's impossible yeah. humanly speaking but perfectly possible through the power of God and that's hard because it's going to require people that come into a church to sometimes make the evaluation what they're teaching is accurate. What they're living out is imbalanced. And I think that's why God brought me here. Mm, <laughs> you, know? you and I have had discussions about that very thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it is a reality. Mm-hmm. And in America in particular, we sort ourselves way too easily. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. That, that can lead to the very imbalance that we end up trying to get away from. Yeah. I have no idea what the time is. Usually it's on this giant yep, it's screen. Time. It's not well, today. Hour yet. 17. So oh, yes, yeah. I will. Wow. Uh, flaps down, landing gear down. Tree Any final up. comment, uh, Caleb or Nate? I mean, I've got lots. More, no, <laughs> I've actually got more to say on this topic, but uh, okay. we can, most of the time it's we can like, start yep, over again no, next week. Yeah, we can uh, <laughs> pick it up where we no, left. Just, you know, uh, we're called to love, love God, love others. There's really nothing. Yep. Um, more unloving that we can do than believe what we believe about a person's eternal destiny and not, and then not desire to share the gospel with them. Mm-hmm. And Amen. I'd say right behind that is, uh, then to share the gospel with them, but in, in an unloving way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, uh, we need to, we need to make sure that we're being, you know, being wise in, in the way we do mm-hmm. that, but we need to be looking for those opportunities. Um, with with wisdom and with great care mm-hmm. to bring the gospel to bear uh, to those around us. Here, here, amen. That's an excellent note to bring this particular circle on the porch uh, to a close. Thank you again, as always, to you men uh, for the time that you carve out of your lives to come together and to to talk. I hope it's been edifying for us. I, I know I'm always encouraged and challenged in my thinking, and I hope for those of you that have listened with us that there have been aspects that have been encouraging to you. Uh, even as we've discussed, I think we all probably have, uh, what's that phrase that Ben always uses? Saved rounds. 
<laughs> I think we all have <laughs> saved rounds uh, on some of these topics, and I'm sure you do too, mm-hmm. and thoughts uh, and perspectives that perhaps we missed. Genuinely would very much love to hear from you mm-hmm. and have a chance to add your contribution to our conversation here on the porch, whether either just through referencing an, an email or text from you, um, or whether that's uh, actually having you here on the porch to discuss some of these things with us. But it is always... Uh, a great privilege uh, to be able to gather as children of the king ultimately and talk about things that do matter. We're not just debating things that disappear into an uncaring, unfeeling universe trundling towards heat death, um, but we are discussing those things that will actually echo in eternity. So thanks mm-hmm. for joining us for that, and I hope you guys enjoy whatever emphasis your day holds. <laughs>